It's the 5th of January in a brand new year of salvation, 2010. And you're back with Father Z and Podcast 98. We welcome as our guest today his hermeneuticalness himself, the great parish priest of Our Lady of the Rosary in Blackfen, Father Timothy Finnegan. Uh, he'll tell us what was going on in his parish around New Year's Day. And also, I'll talk about a really interesting blessing found in the traditional Preconciliar Rituali Romanum. Well, at the beginning of this brand new year of salvation, uh, I thought it was very appropriate to call across the pond to my great friend, his hermeneuticalness himself, Father Finnegan. Hello, Father Finnegan. How are you? Oh, hello, Father Zolzor. Very, very good to hear from you, and uh, hope things are okay over there in the States. Oh, they're wonderful, yes, and uh, uh, we have all sorts of, uh, shall we say, energy at the beginning of a new year, and I'm sure that in your parish... Uh, there at uh, Blackfin, you are, matter of fact, I, I, I seem to remember reading on your blog post that you're planning on having a minor basilica there soon. That's kind of a oh, yes. kind of a wonderful project. I'm going to send people directly over to your blog, the Hermeneutic of Continuity, to take a look at your posts on the minor basilica thing. But uh, look, anyway, you know, getting serious, I, I bet you were probably very busy, not only from this Christmas time, but also even around New Year's. It's an awful lot to do. Holy Day and Obligation of everything, huh? Well, because it's not a Holy Day of Obligation in England, sadly. Most of our Holy Days have been moved to Sunday, and the 1st of January hasn't been traditionally a Holy Day in England. But we try to observe it because there are many people who want to do something uh, spiritual on New Year's Eve rather than just go out to a party. And so for the last few years, we've had adoration of the Blessed Sacrament before midnight, finishing at midnight. And I always say that the, the people of Black Fen are very kind in that they set off fireworks at midnight to, to greet benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. Ah, yes. Okay, so the fireworks are doing double duty. Very good. That's right. <laughs> and we, we, have, um, we have an hour of adoration. We say the rosary, have some silent prayer, and then... Uh, after benediction, we sing the Te Deum, the hymn of thanksgiving to, our, to the Holy Trinity, a traditional hymn of thanksgiving, which is enriched by the Church with a plenary indulgence. And then the following morning on the 1st of January, we have Mass in the morning as usual, and then following Mass we have the Veni Creator Spiritus, which is known to people in English by the, the hymn Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, come, which is the translation of the Veni Creator. So it should be familiar to most people. It's not something that's inaccessible. And for both of those devotions, of course, there is a, a plenary indulgence. So we have many people coming over to the church for these things. There are people who perhaps don't want to watch the things that are on television for New Year's Eve or some other tawdry entertainments that are on, they're not particularly interested, but they want to mark the end of the year and the coming of the new year together with friends, together in a safe environment, 
and doing something positive. So to have a, a service in the church of adoration for New Year's Eve, I find it's it's a very helpful thing. And we have people of all ages there, a good number of servers, young and old, and people in the congregation who, who want to come along and finish the new year by giving thanks to Almighty God for all the blessings and graces that they've received during the past year. Well, it, that's all, that sounds like a, a really good activity. What time, uh, how long was your period of adoration? When did it begin? Well, we, we started at 11 o'clock and we, we finished, we the time it more or less to finish at midnight with uh, benediction and the Te Deum. Uh-huh. And then we have mass the following morning at 10 o'clock. So this was mostly for adults. Did you, you have any kids there? Oh, we had some children there, yes. We, we had some servers, um, some young servers. And also in the morning as well, we, some of our young servers came along. So there's people of all ages. Uh-huh. So, um, I, well, I imagine that, you know, once once you've been in a parish where you've had activities like this going on for a while, it doesn't seem like, you know, something strange or or out of the ordinary, you know, because it just becomes part of the routine, uh, the rhythm of a parish, right? This is not the first year you've done this, is it? No, that's right. We we've, we have it every year. We have benediction twice a week normally it, 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 on our parish schedule. We have benediction on Thursday evening, and then on Saturday morning after the morning mass, we have an hour of adoration during which I hear confessions, and that finishes with benediction. So people are used to benediction in the parish, and I try to put on, at various feast days, the, the devotions which are particularly recommended by the church. I mean, there are many devotions, as you know, that people come up with sometimes slightly crazy things, um, bits of paper left at the back of the church, that sort of thing. Whereas what I try to do is to encourage people, according to the mind of the church, to foster those devotions, which particularly those which are rewarded with an indulgence, because I think that's one of the ways that the church tries to direct us in the various devotions that are, that are available to, to, um, to give a particular emphasis to certain devotions which are especially enriching for the faithful people, such as, for example, saying the rosary, spending time before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, reading the Holy Scriptures, those sorts of things which can be done every day, but then also for particular days. So, for example, renewing the vows of baptism on the occasion of one's anniversary of baptism, attendance at a First Holy Communion Mass, um, you know, various different particular occasions that the Church rewards with, with a plenary indulgence. I think that it's, it's good to encourage people into those devotions which are especially recommended by the Church. That's, uh, what, what occurs to me here is that it's not only something, you're doing not only something which would have a, uh, an appeal to uh, those more traditionally minded uh, in your parish, uh, but also um, you're providing some continuity for people who, you know, are maybe either new to the church or new to more traditional practices. You're getting them into touch with, you know, things that we have done as Catholics, uh, as a regular part of the warp and weft of our Catholic life for, for so very long. But there's that spiritual component, you know, that exposure to the indulgences. You know, a, a parish that way, you're you're helping you're helping the parish become a locus for the exercise of of spiritual and corporal works of mercy especially in this case especially the spiritual works of mercy for example praying for the dead you know obtaining indulgences uh is is a great work of mercy and giving people opportunities uh to do that 
is is really a, a great work of charity. It's part of you know real pastoral work. Well, certainly yes. Uh, we, we nowadays, because we can say mass in the evening, a lot of the traditional devotions of the church have had to give way to evening mass. You know, the, the parish schedule is clogged up a little bit. So it's important really to have these other things which add colour to Catholic life. Obviously, the Mass is the source and the summit of the whole Christian life. But we need other things to feed into our devotion to the Holy Eucharist and our devotion to the sacrifice of the Mass. And those sacramentals especially, which people love so much. And I find that converts to the faith, when I'm instructing converts, very often the questions that they ask are about these extra things that that we do in the church. Holy water, different signs of the cross, why do we make the sign of the cross with our thumb before the gospel, all of those sorts of things. People are fascinated by them. They engage us body and soul so that people can bring their emotions as well as their, their minds to the church. And the various devotions that we have become very popular. It's, it's very much a part of you know, my own slogan um, taken from Pope Benedict XVI, the hermeneutic of continuity, that the Second Vatican Council was not in any way intended to destroy the tradition to the church or to be a break or a rupture with our traditional Catholic life. It was intended to be in continuity with it. And it's a great shame where these devotions are lost because they take something out of people's lives that bring them a great deal of joy and happiness in their Catholic life. So certainly it's it's worth encouraging these things in a parish to bring people along. And of course, it's not at all opposed to the corporal works of mercy, that people who come to these things are often very actively engaged in the corporal works of mercy, um, raising money or getting clothes or food or whatever for people who are homeless, looking after various different charities, going out to visit the elderly. People, people do... It's a, it's a question of both and, not either or. Yeah. So the, the corporal yeah. and spiritual works of mercy both are important. Yeah, the both the body and soul uh, together. You mentioned that a little bit earlier. Also, this is another dimension of it. You know, even in the in the uh, in, in obtaining an indulgence, we have the work that has to be done, but then we also have the, you know, the spiritual preparation, you know, the spiritual disposition. Uh, we can go yeah. through and do the works all all you know all day long and you know so forth. But if we are not you know, spiritually prepared or disposed, you know, in the right way, then, you know, obtaining a, a plenary indulgence might be, you know, out of the question. We can still get a partial indulgence in a lot of those situations. But, you know, obtaining a plenary indulgence is a little harder, but it's not impossible. And this is something that people also have to come to know. And the greater exposure they have to opportunities to gain indulgences, the greater familiarity they'll, they'll gain with this. And it'll become, you know, part of the way of thinking, you know, preparing for it, understanding that, you know, I can gain a plenary indulgence, but I have to be spiritually prepared. Maybe you could just take a moment um, and uh, explain to the listeners you know, the, the whole issue of a, a plenary indulgence, uh, it's not quite as daunting as it might sound. Well, yes, the, one of the key things about a plenary indulgence is that one of the requirements is sacramental confession. And that, that's very important in Catholic life. People may feel, well, I haven't committed a mortal sin, I'm not strictly bound to go to confession. But to gain a plenary indulgence, one must go to confession within a reasonable time, a week or two. The Holy Communion... Um, Obviously, today, many people go to Holy Communion 
every time they go to Mass, and so that's not a difficult condition. Then praying for the intentions of the Holy Father. When we have benediction on a Thursday evening, or whenever there's going to be a plenary indulgence available, I always lead the people in praying for the intentions of the Holy Father, we say the Our Father and the Creed, or at the beginning of the Rosary, those prayers on the, on the little sort of tail of the Rosary that, that lead in, and make it explicit. We, we pray for the Holy Father with the intention of gaining the plenary indulgence attached either to the public recitation of the Rosary, or of course this year um, for the praying for priests in the year of the priest. But the the condition that people find most difficult or have most problems over is that um, there's a condition that we should have the complete exclusion of any attachments to any sin, even venial. Now, sometimes people might think, well, that's perhaps something that Pope Paul VI introduced to make plenary indulgence more difficult or something like that. But it's not. This was a part of the traditional conditions for a plenary indulgence. But we know that we're all going to commit venial sins. As St. John says, you know, that that uh, if anyone says he has no sin, he is a liar. So we know that we're going to probably commit venial sins daily. It's not about a prediction of the future or some kind of um, promise or prophecy that we're never going to commit a venial sin. And in fact, um, the the church has, has said that it's a question of the detestation. So as um, the people are totally free from any desire to relapse into sin. So if one can make that desire there and then to say, dear Jesus, I, I wish never to commit a deliberate venial sin, then that prayer itself puts us in the right conditions for gaining a plenary indulgence. And I, I found um, one of the books on my shelves, an old book by a Roman theologian written over 100 years ago, Le Pissier. He said once, you know, Whilst with regard to plenary indulgences, they teach us in a dogmatical tone that exceedingly few are those who gain it, fewer still are those who actually do gain it, perhaps a holy nun in some remote corner of the world or some saintly hermit dead to this life and its concupiscences. So even over a hundred years ago, people were saying this sort of thing. But then he points out that, in fact, everybody can gain a plenary indulgence because detachment from venial sin is a question of our will here and now. It's not a question of a prediction of the future, but a question of putting ourselves in the right dispositions here and now in order to gain the indulgence that the church gives to us. And of course, the church, in making these plenary indulgences available to us, we can presume that the church is, is sure that people can actually gain them. Yeah, that's right. Holy Church isn't going to ask us to try to do things that are impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, and the church is the greatest expert in humanity that there's ever been. Uh, it's not going to, you know, she wouldn't propose for us uh, a bar that was way too high. I mean, that would be a that would be an act of cruelty more than anything else. But you know, uh, the other side of it too is that, that if people don't try to get them, uh, they won't ever get them. So yes. um, we we need to keep it keep it in our minds that yes, uh, these are things that we should we should try to do. Uh, with the, fully with the understanding that we are sinners and we remain sinners and perfection, you know, is not possible in this life. It's going to be, you know, perfection in, is possible in the life to come, but we are unfinished products until the time we die. And yes. uh, so, you know, we just have to keep, you know, trying and persevering with the confidence that Holy Mother Church isn't, you know, leading us to, you know, try to do a, an impossible kind of a spiritual pole vault you know, here, 
um, yes. it, it's, it is possible to gain. And um, also, by the way, just I want to return to one point. You know, when we talk about the intentions of the Holy Father, uh, isn't it true that uh, the Holy See uh, publishes uh, at the beginning of every month uh, what the Holy Father's intentions are for that month? Yes, indeed. And they're also a way of directing us to pray for the right things. As I say, you know, sometimes you have devotions which are formed in a kind of enthusiastic sort of way and can sometimes lead people up a sidetrack. But the Holy Father, in publishing his intentions for the month, points us to a direction where our prayers are most needed, our prayers are most effective, where we can join with the whole church in, in praying for those things that are most necessary. Yeah. Uh, now, just um, just to you know, make this kind of concrete. I, I imagine that there are some you know priests and lay people out there who are listening to this podcast right now, who are kind of you know thinking about their own parishes. You know, maybe uh, maybe you could just give you know po- a pointer for a priest who would like to get something going, and maybe a couple pointers for uh, lay people who might want to try to encourage their priest to get something going. Well, certainly, I think the, the devotion of benediction is a, is a beautiful thing, especially in the evening. We think of the evening sacrifice of praise. It's a beautiful thing that we come to the church after dark, gather in the church. You know, if it's a cold night, as it, as it is in England at the moment, you know, we're, we're there in the warm in the church, gathered around our Lord, something extra for him. And for priests, I would say, well, don't worry about numbers. You know, we're not, we're not going to, we don't need to... Um, think, oh, well, there aren't that many people here, I've got to scrap it, and so on. Those people who come, the people who come, it's worth it for them. And for the lady, not, only, not only that, Father, it's also, especially in this year of the priest, it's worth it for the priest. The priest can get a plenary indulgence by praying his office before the Blessed Sacrament every single day during the year of the priest. Well, yes, I, I think it's a very important example for the priest to give to be seen in the church, kneeling down, saying his prayers. And it's certainly something that, that's very moving for me, is the number of comments that I receive, particularly, you know, one receives cards and, and so on at Christmas time. How many people comment, um, oh, Father, it's good to see you giving an example of prayer. It's very humbling because as, as priests, we, you know, we feel we perhaps don't do, don't do enough, we're not good enough, and so on. We're humble before the Lord. But one thing that people most appreciate is the example of the priest saying his prayers in the church. So I think it's very important for the priest to be seen in the church, perhaps before and after Mass, to, to say some prayers. But also that lovely exercise of saying the rosary and giving benediction is really one of the highlights of the week for me as a priest, to, to participate in that devotion myself and to make it available for the people and so I'd certainly encourage any priest who's thinking of it. But people love that particular service. And it's one of the examples, really, with the, the sacred liturgy, where it's totally focused on our blessed Lord. There's nothing really in terms of the priest's personality. You don't have to give a sermon. You don't have to do anything in terms of in, engaging you know, in some kind of radio host way with people. All you have to do is make it possible for people to come and adore the Blessed Sacrament. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a very priestly thing to do. And then for the laity to come into the church at that moment, it's a, it's a relaxing thing for people to do. They're not put upon. They don't have to do anything in a sense of, apart from pray. 
they can rest there with the Lord. Rather, as our blessed Lord himself had told to the apostles, come away to a lonely place and, and pray for a while. It's very much in that spirit, I think. And so I, I'd certainly recommend it. And if, if laity, uh, lay people are thinking, well, can I persuade my priest to do something? Certainly, you know, politely and gently just to say to him, well, Father, if you want to put on benediction, we'll come, we'll be there, and we'll, we'll support him. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if, if lay people want to make a suggestion, then they have to also be willing to, you know, come and help, you know, come and do it, too. Yes, yeah. that's right. Which is a, a very important point. Let, let, just to return to a point of, you know, coming coming back to church, you know, again later in the day, you know, isn't an imposition. Um, you know, did you, do you have the phrase in England um, to come back to church to sanctify your Sunday? Um, I, we've heard that, you know, in America, I think the phrase has gone out of usage now, but, but you know, there were parishes, parishes where people, uh, you know, they had vespers. They used to sing vespers in the evening and have benediction. In old hand missiles that people had, you know, before council, you can find the text for vespers in a lot of them. So the people were in the habit of returning back to the, going back to the church again on Sunday, even for a second time. It's not impossible, you know, when we stop to consider how much energy we give to various other things in our life, you know, uh, it's never really that much of an imposition to give that little bit more time, you know, back to God in thanksgiving for everything that he gives to us. Well, certainly Vespers is a very beautiful service, and we've had this a few times now in Black Fen, usually associated with the older form of the Roman Rite. Um, on a particular feast day, we might um, celebrate a sung mass in the morning, and then during the afternoon, sing Vespers. The problem in many parishes, and mine is, is, is an example, is that we have evening mass, so having Vespers on a Sunday can sometimes be difficult, but it's it's a very beautiful thing, and people are not familiar with it. This year, during the October Prayer for Christian Unity, I've decided that what we'll offer in Black Fen is to have Vespers, and we'll have it in the, in the newer form of, of you know, the Liturgy of the Hours, so it will be in English, but we'll sing the Psalms. The whole service is scriptural, and so we can invite our brother um, brothers and sisters from other churches to come in and join us for this scriptural service, which is part of the tradition of the church. So there's a link between our present practice. You know, many, many people will have a celebration of the word of God or something and make something up. We've actually got something there that's provided for us by the church in which we can offer the evening sacrifice of praise, singing the Psalms of David, singing parts of the Holy Scriptures, celebrating the word of God in a way that's a part of the, the sacred liturgy of the church. It's something that people have never come across, the beautiful psalm tones that we have in the church that, that have this repetitive, meditative style. And I, I have the great privilege of teaching at Parkminster and joining the, the monks for Vespers when I, when I go to teach there. And one can Park, see Parkminster that, is a Carthusian Place. Yes, the, the Carthusian monastery in England. Yes, it's um, they spend hours and hours every day in the church. I remind people sometimes that when we're busy about various things or when we're asleep, they're praying for us. They're, they're praying for us night and day, and we can join that prayer. We can be part of the prayer that's going on all over the world, you know, hour by hour by hour across the across the world. And Vespers is something which is 
absolutely stunning you know it's it's a lovely service and again something that we can invite people into in addition to holy mass something a little extra as you say to sanctify our sundays and our feast days yeah mm-hmm. and and the wonderful thing about this is that it's all doable well of course yes that's the thing you can get a little frightened in a parish you think oh i can't do this and but yeah we can you only need a few people, and maybe if you can't do it perfectly, well, let's just get on with it. As Cardinal Newman said, if we wait until we do things perfectly, we should never do anything at all. Right, yeah, we so, shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Absolutely, absolutely. So we, we can just get on with it, do what we can. There was um, a lovely piece I read recently about a priest who used to sing vespers. I think it was Monsignor Bartolucci in Rome, and he said that if the priest had taken ill or fallen asleep, then the family, the fathers of the families would take up the antiphons because they they all knew them. You know that vespers can be something which is part of the familiar life of the parish, something that you, you don't need a great team to do it. If you've got people who can sing or you've got some extra things you can do, well, fine, you can work those in. But you can also just make a start and and you know crack away with some of these great devotions of the church and the the treasury which the church has in her sacred liturgy. Yeah, this is all part of our common patrimony, and uh, we, uh, to a certain extent, I think people have a right to have some of these things, and so we shouldn't be, uh, you know, stingy in this regard. As 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 priests, we should help people to have these things. Father Finnegan, thank you very much for what you're doing there. It's all, I, I've been to your parish uh, several times, and I've seen the the wonderful way people get involved, and uh, seen what you've been doing there, and how happy people are, and it's. It's always it's always been a pleasure to come and visit, and it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. So thanks. Let's do this again soon, okay? Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Father. It's great to talk to you, and uh, I wish you all the best for the, for the coming year and for the coming decade. Everybody's happy in the Caribbean side. Traveling together across the desert side. Got a mandolin and a ragtime band. A week three kings had a few rehearsals and we hit the road. Hired a couple of camels for the full show. Came up with a clever name by which we're known. We three kings of following a star that was foretold. To find a child who smiled the light of the world and everybody's bringing gifts of frankincense and myrrh and gold. Pops you out of out of caravan. It was great to have that chat with his hermeneuticalness himself, Father Timothy Finnegan in Black Fen in England. And uh, we talked, of course, about the use of indulgences, which should be a regular part of our lives. But this time around Epiphany, whether uh, it was moved uh, in your parish to the nearby Sunday or whether you were able to observe it on the correct day, January 6th, uh, there is a wonderful custom in the Latin church which reminds us of another great tool of the spiritual life, something we should be using all the time, and that is sacramentals. Now, sacramentals and Holy Church's calendar go hand in glove. And a book like the traditional preconciliar Rituali Romanum, the Roman ritual, reminds us that there are many of these special blessings which uh, are used for sacramentals 
uh, for spiritual gifts, uh, tools, uh, weapons, if we want to put it that way, of our spiritual warfare. There are many blessings at our disposal uh, as we are going through this life in this veil of tears as members of the church militant. And we really should be making good use of them. They should be a regular part of our routine as Catholics, as normal as any other routines that we have in our lives. Now, at Epiphany, uh, you know about the uh, the blessing of chalk and of doorways, the entrances to houses. And the history of this is not entirely clear to me, but I'm thinking that it has something to do, because of the doorway issue, it has to do with the name of the month of January. January, of course, comes from the name of the ancient Roman god of doorways and home entrances and uh, bridges and covered walkways. The god Janus or Janus. And of course, Janua is the name for door, the word for door in Latin. And the god Janus was depicted with two faces, uh, each of them looking in opposite directions. And the temple of Janus, right down at the Roman Forum, in the heart of Rome, had doors at both ends, and those doors were only closed when the Romans were not prosecuting any war anywhere. Uh, Of course, a very rare event. And uh, Augustus Caesar did this. He closed the doors of Janus in 29 BC. Uh, He talks about that in his Res Gestae, his uh, autobiographical account of his own deeds. Uh, Augustus says that he closed the doors of the temple of Janus. Janus Quirinus, which our ancestors wished to be closed whenever peace had been secured by victories throughout the Roman Empire by land and sea, was recorded to have been closed before I was born, twice altogether since the foundation of the city. But the Senate decreed that it should be closed on three occasions when I was princeps. So, of course, Augustine is saying that that was a time when the whole world was at peace. Um, something which we are reminded about uh, yet at the singing of the Christian calends uh, at uh, at Christmas time. But I digress. Anyway, you know about the blessing for chalk and that it has to do with doorways at this time of year of January. Uh, there was also uh, a special blessing probably from Greek influence, for a special kind of water called epiphany water. You know, there are different kinds of holy waters uh, in the Latin church. Uh, There's, of course, you know, regular holy water. There's Easter water, uh, blessed at Easter in the vigil, also called baptismal water. And uh, there's Gregorian water, uh, kind of a strange concoction of uh, water with wine and salt and ashes mixed in, and it's used, I think, pretty much only used for the consecration of churches. Um, I digress again. Anyway, the uh, not everyone may know that there is a special blessing on Epiphany for gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very appropriate things to bless. Those were the gifts brought by the Magi. 
we know about the number of the gifts, three gifts, but we uh, Scripture doesn't actually tell us how many major there are. I mean, our tradition's coming down to us now that there were three of them. But uh, fathers of the church, I believe Leo the Great, thought that there may have been as many as you know twenty-four of them. We we just don't know uh, from Scripture. But in in any event, we do know the gifts: gold, incense, and myrrh. Myrrh being a concoction that was used for the Im- the the treatment of of bodies before their burial. So these different gifts uh, had uh, symbolic uh, value, and the fathers of the church interpreted them allegorically. But uh, I, I digress again. What I really want to do is talk to you about the blessing, the blessing for gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So if you flip open your own trusty copy of the Rituale Romanum, uh, you'll find this great blessing uh, for the Feast of Epiphany. And here is the business part of this blessing in my own uh, translation. I'm going to have a very, kind of a slavishly literal translation because I think slavishly literal translations are kind of like good crowbars or, or, or good drill bits that help us really dig into, into the content and uh, a couple of things that you might want to listen for. First of all, listen to the style of the language. Uh, it's very, uh, it, it's both grand and humble at the same time. It's very courtly. You can tell that it comes from a time uh, of, of a real awareness of, of str- different strata in society. Uh, and here, of course, we play place God above all of them, you know, above every possible uh, category. And so there's another point that you should listen for, and that is the the humbleness and the unworthy character of the priest who is doing the blessing. Now, this is a very interesting thing. Uh, in my discussion uh, with friends about the differences between, the, for example, the older form of Holy Mass and the newer form of Holy Mass, what we call the Novus Ordo, there's one element that, that we find that is consistently removed uh, in prayers, especially the priest's own prayers in the Novus Ordo. And those are references to the priest's own lack of worth his unworthiness and you know therefore underscoring his real humility and and his awe in the mysterious thing that he is doing there that he so unworthy can be chosen by god to be the instrument for this magnificent and mysterious thing that's happening at mass well you find that unworthiness also uh, in this blessing for gold frankincense and myrrh Another thing that you should listen for is that it has a couple of, it has three, actually four different parts. I, I'm excluding the little introduction. The introductions to blessings, you know, always have to do, you know, with uh, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Okay, so we have that little introductory dialogue. And then you have a description of what, um, of who's involved and uh, his a scriptural or historical reference. And then we have to get the devil out of the stuff that's going to be blessed. And this is something that's common uh, when you are blessing water and uh, oil and things like that, salt. 
you have to exorcise these things. And when the priest exorcises these material creatures, he addresses them directly. He speaks directly to those things, those creatures. And so listen to how the priest speaks directly to the thing. You know, the reason why I think these things have to be exercised is because, you know, as our Lord uh, reminds us, um, that this world has its prince. And everything in the world, in the material creation, is under the, the influence, the domination, to a certain extent, of the enemy of our soul, the prince of this world. And if we want to turn something over to the soul in exclusive use of, you know, for sacred purposes, we have to tear it away from the grip of the devil. We have to get the devil out of the thing. And therefore we can then turn it over to uh, entirely and solely to the uh, veneration of God uh, and, uh, and his liturgical service and so forth. So we exercise the thing, and then we talk about the benefits that we hope to have from it, and then uh, comes the blessing itself. So uh, aside, including the little introductory dialogue, which I'm going to leave out here because you just heard it, um, there are you know different parts, like five different parts of this blessing. So let's hear now the blessing uh, to be used on Epiphany for gold, frankincense, and all of the myrrh you might have with you. Receive, O Holy Father, these gifts from me, your unworthy servant, which in honor of your holy name and unto the renown of your omnipotent majesty, I humbly offer to you as you accepted the sacrifice of Abel the just and as you accepted the same gifts from the three magi as they once offered them to you. I exorcise you, O creatures of gold, of incense, and of myrrh, by the Father Almighty, and by Jesus Christ, his only begotten, and by the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, in order that there depart from you every deceit, deception, evil of the devil, and so that you may be a saving remedy for the human race against the traps of the enemy, and may everyone supported by divine aid, who will have you in their pockets or homes or around themselves, by the power and merits of our Lord and Savior and the intercession of his most holy mother, the Virgin Mary, and of those who today venerated the Lord Christ with these same gifts, and of all the saints, be freed from all dangers of soul and body, and may merit fully to enjoy every good thing. O God, invisible and limitless, in your mercy, by the holy and fearful name of your Son, we humbly beseech you, that you pour down in this creature of gold, of incense, and of myrrh the blessing and operation of your power, so that whoever will have them in their possession may be protected from every illness and injurious attack, and that every malady of body and soul be put to flight, and that no danger master them, and that, joyful and safe, they may serve you in your church, who lives in the perfect trinity and reigns, God, 
for all ages of the ages. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit descend upon this creature of gold, of incense and of myrrh, and remain forever. Amen. Well, now that you have that in your ears, the English part, let's hear the Latin. And I'll include the little dialogue this time in Latin, something that you can maybe get into your head so that if you ever go to ask for something to be blessed and Father uses the Latin form of the blessing, you will know how to respond. So it begins, Adutorium nostrum in nomine domini. The response is, Qui fecit celum et terram. Dominus vobiscum, et cum spiritu tuo. Oremus. Sushipe, Sancte Pater, a me indigno famulo tuo hec munera, que in honorem dominis tui sancti, et in titulum omnipotentiae tue maestatis, humiliter tibi offero, sicut suscepisti sacrificium abel justi, et sicut eadem munera atribus magis tibi quandam offerentibus suscepisti. Exorcizo te, creatura auri turis et mure, per Patrem Omnipotentem, per Iesum Christum, Filium Eus Unigenitum, et per Spiritum Sanctum Paraclitum, ut a te discedat omnis fraus dolus et nequitia diaboli, et sis remedium salutare humano generi contra insidias inimici, et quicumque divino freti auxilio te in suis loculis domibus aut circa se habuerent, per virtutem et merita domini et salvatoris nostri, ac intercessionem eus sanctissime genetricis et virginis Mariae, ac eorum qui hodie similibus muneribus Christum Dominum venerati sunt, omiumque sanctorum ab omnibus periculis anime et corporis liberentur, et bonis omnibus perfui mereantur. Amen. Deus invisibilis et interminabilis, pietatem tuam per sanctum et tremendum filii tui nomen, suppliciter deprecamur. Ut in hanc creaturam auri turis et mure benedictionem ac operationem tue virtutis infundas, ut qui ea penes se habuerent, ab omni egritudinis et lesionis incursu tutis sint, et omnes morbos corporis et anime effugiant, nullum dominetur eis periculum, et leti ac incolumes tibi in ecclesia tue deserviant, qui in trinitate perfecta vivis et regnas Deus per omnia secula seculorum. Amen. Et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendat superhanc creaturam auri turis et mure et maneat semper. Amen. And then the priest sprinkles them with holy water. And so that is the blessing uh, for all of your gold and your incense and all the myrrh 
that you have around. All you have to do is go to the priest and uh, you can find, if he doesn't happen to have a copy of the older ritual, you can always find it online. Just uh, Google uh, Blessing of Gold, Frankincense, and Myrrh, and you'll find it. that, I'm going to wrap this up. Please come and visit us at the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango Papa Romeo Sierra.com. If that's a little hard to remember, you can always just Google Father Z or you can look at fatherzonline.com, F-E-T-H-E-R-Z-Online.com. Tell your friends about it. Come on around and get involved in the discussions. Uh, you'll have to register in order to make comments, and that's because there are some really creepy people out there, and uh, that helps to uh, keep our conversations both civil and intelligent. But you are always welcome to come around and read at any time. And I hope uh, that God will give you many, many blessings during uh, this brand new year of salvation, 2010. And I would ask you kindly to pray for me as I will for you. <laughs> 